This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. If you are listening to this on release day, you know it has been a crazy few weeks with the global spread of the coronavirus making it a pandemic. The response of people around the world has varied greatly from sheer panic to calm preparation for quarantine. Before launching into this week's episode with Melissa Kruger, I would like to pray a portion of the prayer Carrie Weber wrote for America Magazine. Quote, Jesus Christ, you have traveled through towns and villages curing every disease and illness. At your command, the sick were made well. Come to our aid now in the midst of the global spread of the coronavirus that we may experience your healing. Heal those who are sick with the virus. May they regain their strength and health through quality medical care. Heal us from our fear, which prevents nations from working together and neighbors from helping one another. Heal us from our pride, which can make us claim invulnerability to a disease that knows no borders. Jesus Christ, healer of all, stay by our side in this time of uncertainty and sorrow. Be with those who have died from the virus. May they be at rest with you in your eternal peace. End quote. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can find the prayer by searching A Prayer Amid an Epidemic by Carrie Weber online. Today, Melissa joins me to chat about contentment in a covetous world. Y'all, I wish I could fully describe how I felt at the end of our interview. It was so rich and really got me thinking about my relationship with Jesus. We talk about the common definition of contentment versus contentment in the life of a Jesus follower. We talk about the enemy of contentment and how that enemy is so often the root of all sin. We also talk about cultivating contentment. Listen to what Melissa has to say about contentment in Paul's life. So when we look at Paul and he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's talking about contentment. He's not talking about running a marathon. And that's what we tend to apply it to. But he's saying, you know, whether I'm in plenty or whether I'm in want, I have learned the secret of contentment. So his outer circumstances don't matter, but his something is happening inwardly to him that this inward understanding of God and who he is, that is basically sourcing contentment. So it's inward rather than outward. And we tend to think if I can just get everything sorted outside my life, then I'll have this inward contentment. But I think it actually works the opposite way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you're encouraged to examine your heart and life, identifying areas where you covet, repent, and ask God to cultivate a spirit of contentment within you. But remember, it is a lifelong journey of allowing God to shape and mold us. So don't beat yourself up when you fall short. Just repent and begin again. 
Good morning, Melissa. Thank you so much for being on the Grace Enough podcast this morning. Thanks so much for having me. As we get started, go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners and tell everybody a little about your family and what you do. Well, I'm Melissa, um, Melissa Kruger, and I am married to Mike Kruger. He um, is a professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary here in Charlotte. He's also president of our campus here in Charlotte, and we have three children. We have a daughter, Emma, who is 19, and I don't know how that happened. Um, We have a son, John, who is 16, and we have a daughter, Kate, who's 13. So I am living with three teenagers in my life right now, Um, and it's it's a great thing. I actually love the teen years. I taught high school, and so I I do love the teen years. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, And then I work for the Gospel Coalition. I am the director of women's initiatives for the Gospel Coalition. It's a busy busy season, which well, every season is. I know. it's They're just different, right? I mean, every se- season is busy. It just has its strengths and weaknesses. I've learned. That's right. That's exactly right. Today, we're going to talk about contentment. But before we do that, I love to ask my guests, how did you meet Jesus? What, I mean, what has your faith journey looked like a little bit since you came to know Christ? Yeah, it's, um, I love that you asked that question. Sometimes I realize I've been friends with people for like 10 years and yeah. I've never asked, how did you come to your faith? I know, um, right? And I grew up, thankfully, in the church mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I'm thankful for that. Um, but, you know, I really don't think I had an understanding that I wasn't just born a Christian, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of like, oh, you know, just part of, of course, I'm a Christian. I live in America and my parents sent me to church. So yes, I'm a Christian. I never really had the understanding that I was a sinner yeah. and I was in need of, of grace um, and that I needed to accept the truths of Christianity for myself. And it was two things kind of um, happened side by side in my life. My parents, I think it was eighth grade, gave me a read the Bible in a year, like one of these big Bible in a years and it sections it all out for you. Right. Before we had apps. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Before we had apps. So there used to be these actual physical Bibles that did it for you and they gave it to me. And for some reason I thought, sure, I'll do this. I never had a habit of Bible reading or devotions or anything like that before that. And so I would say actually before I was even a believer or had really come to, you know, an acknowledgement of the gospel and everything, I was reading the Bible every day. Mm -hmm. And so I was reading a New Testament, Old Testament passage and all of this. And then my freshman year of high school, my older brother had gotten involved in this ministry at our high school called FCA, Fellowship Mm -hmm. of Christian Athletes. And we were at a large public high school there in Raleigh, Sanderson. And he kept telling me I needed to come with him and I did not want to come with him. And finally I did. And it was there that I really heard the gospel in a really profound way that I I hadn't heard it before, that Mm. I was a sinner that I needed grace and it was a personal kind of choice to make versus just something you were born into. And so it was really through that ministry that um, my faith grew and I was discipled and within a couple of years was leading Bible studies and different things like that. But so I'm so thankful that really, I feel like Jesus found me in a large public high school Mm -hmm. through the ministry of a woman who was there as a teacher and she was running this, FCA in our high school. So it was, it was such a great thing. See, that's so cool too. I hear so many people who that same thing, you know, they were raised in the church, but their faith didn't really become their own until high school, college, maybe even later. But 
I mean, God's so gracious to us to be even raised in a Christian home because that's not everybody's story. And I think sometimes people will say, oh, I don't have this big, amazing testimony. And I'm like, oh, yes, you do. The faithfulness of even your parents to put you in that place is an amazing story. Yes. That, that, that was one of the greatest gifts. The Bible was never foreign to me. I grew right. up knowing the different Bible stories. My mom prayed with me every night, you know, before, although I think my prayers normally consisted of just praying for the animals who didn't have homes out there. That was kind of the, the depth of that my prayer That sounds a little bit like my seven-year-old now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, so there's hope. There's hope. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm so thankful certain patterns were just in my life even before I came to faith. And I think that's all part of how the Lord, you know, brings us to himself through multiple mm-hmm. venues were really happening. Yes. But it was that moment in high school. But yeah, multiple things were going on for the Lord to kind of bring me to himself. Well, you have written a book, The Envy of Eve, and it is all about contentment in a covetous world. And eventually, which is pretty recent, I think, you developed an eight-part teaching series also on contentment. When you first started writing that book, what was going on in your life that led to that? What's really funny that was going on in my life was that I was actually finally getting all the things I had hoped for out of life. Um, And it was finding that shockingly, they did not satisfy. So we had been through a lot of significant changes in a lot of ways. My husband, after we first got married, we moved clear across the country to Arizona, and then we moved overseas to Scotland so he could do his PhD work, which means you have no money and you live in a really, really small apartment. And it sounds glorious. Oh, you get to live in Europe. But really, this was the days before social media or Facebook or anything like that. So it was actually quite lonely. And I was just there for him. And so I felt really insignificant in a lot of ways. Mm. And again, you're just making ends meet any way you can. You know, all these things are happening. And so, and then you're far away from home. And I had my first child over there. And so then finally we moved back to the States. My husband got a job in Charlotte, which was a dream for us because it was near family. Um, we have this child. We actually moved to a home. You know, all of these things are the things I was dreaming about in that Scottish tiny little flat. And what I found was I was still wanting something else. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was always something that was lacking. Um, getting the things of life, you know, it looked to the world. I have a husband who's great. I have this daughter. I have a house. We live three hours from my parents, an hour and a half from his parents. What more could I ask for? And what I realized is, oh, my heart can ask for a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I actually didn't have a circumstance problem back in Scotland. I had a heart problem and that my heart is constantly wanting more. And so that maybe my lack of contentment was less about what was happening in my life and more about what was happening in my heart. Mm. And so those are kind of the circumstances that were going on. I mean, I can certainly relate. So I am 100% sure that most people listening um, can relate to that. When we think about contentment from let's say Webster's Dictionary perspective, it is defined as a state of happiness and satisfaction. But how do we, how should we define contentment from the perspective of the Bible? 
Yeah, I think it's really different because the state of happiness and satisfaction is very circumstantially driven. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of picture myself in a hammock sitting on a beach somewhere with someone, you know, bringing me food and drinks and it's just great. Like that sounds like the place I could experience that. Whereas what I think we see biblically is that contentment is this deep sense of hope and joy in the Lord and in what he has done, um, regardless of outside circumstances. So it's actually an inner contentment that flows into outward living, but it's an inward hope and joy and delight in what who God is and what he has done um, that really is insulated from circumstances. And so when we look at Paul, and he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's talking about contentment. He's not talking about running a marathon. And Absolutely. that's what we tend to apply it to. Yes. But he's saying, you know, whether I'm in plenty or whether I'm in want, I have learned the secret of contentment. So his outer circumstances don't matter, but his something is happening inwardly to him mm-hmm that this inward understanding of God and who he is, that is basically sourcing contentment. So it's inward rather than outward. And we tend to think if I can just get everything sorted outside my life, then I'll have this inward contentment. But I think it actually works the opposite way. Well, and we see that continuously in Paul's life. I was just yesterday during BSF, you know, talking about right as he's leaving Ephesus and going back to Jerusalem and all of his followers are saying, don't go. And he's like, I know I'm not going to see you again, but this is my call. And everyone kind of kept warning him not to go, begging him not to go. And for him, it was a matter of, I know that suffering lies ahead, but I also know this is what I need to do to move forward in my call. Yeah, that's right. He didn't spend his life trying to get his circumstances for his happiness. Yes. He actually spent his life trying to obey God, whatever the cost, knowing that that was honestly the best, his, his best life now. Right, <laughs> right. That's true contentment. The material, yeah, <laughs> rather than having all the material goods or whatever, it was the, the heart that is, in a sense, reigned in to God's will for, mm. for his life. That's the contented heart, not mm. the person who gets everything they want, right. but the person who can sit under what God wants and delight in it. Because what God will always plan for us in the end will be so much better. We just can't see mm-hmm. that. And, you know, we're so limited. We can't always see. But Paul, again, his inner belief that God knew better mm-hmm. and that might include suffering, um, he followed and obeyed. Well, and that's something else when we think about contentment. It's so hard when you want to move towards a certain change in behavior. You really have to know what that underlying struggle is, what is driving that behavior. And so talk a little bit about the enemy of contentment and what we really need to identify within us that can actually put us on a path towards contentment. Yeah, when I first started understanding that my circumstances weren't actually my problem, my heart was, that's the very thing. Well, then what's wrong in my heart? Mm -hmm. And honestly, what I think I started seeing in my own heart and really in the lives of people around me, because Charlotte is a wealthy city. I mean, it's not a city where people 
are, yeah, most of my friends were coming out of college and making huge salaries. And yet what I saw was this continual hamster wheel of more, 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 more. And I really just, the more I started studying, it was through the scriptures, um, but seeing the sin of coveting was really the enemy of contentment. That this notion of looking over the fence um, into other people's lives and not just monetarily wanting what they had, but wanting what they had circumstantially, wanting what they had relationally, Even wanting what they, yes, spiritual giftedness, mm-hmm. all of those things, looking over the fence and thinking, I think they're getting a bigger slice of the pie than I am. And that covetousness leads to a deeper question of God, why aren't you being as good to me as you are being to them? Which, in light of the cross, is a treasonous question. Mm. (laughs) I hate saying it that way. But in light of what he has done, because, I mean, sometimes I think God must look at me and must say, you know, I gave my, my perfect, holy, beloved son on your behalf. And it's still and not you're enough. And you're now, yeah, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's not enough. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's, you know, when we look at the Israelites and they want to go back to slavery, like <laughs> three weeks after coming out of the promised land, you know, they're saying, oh, we ain't there with, with meat. And you know, I'm like, they killed your children. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, you and worked you, you like know, a dog for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we want to get back we do to it. slavery just like them. We're, we're, we're not convinced that what God has provided is enough. We're yeah. just like that. And so what I realized was this sin, this 10th commandment that looks like the little easy one that's thrown at the end. Yeah. Well, the other ones are big. I mean, adultery is big. Stealing's big. Murder. I mean, that's big. Coveting. Oh, it's just this little cute sin at the end. And I'm like, oh, it's actually the one that gives birth to all the others. I was getting ready to say it is. It is. I mean, I look back and I, so I lived in Tampa for almost eight years and same thing, very wealthy city, um, particularly where we were because we were in South Tampa and it's just the culture there. And I spent so much time wanting to not be there. And I knew I was struggling with a lot of jealousy issues because a lot of people around us had more than we did or so it appeared. And once we got out of there, I really was able to do quite a bit of heart work and realize I'm so jealous of other people and I didn't even realize it. And it's just what you said. It's not just that they had the bigger house. It was much more than that. And I could go on and on about that, but you're right. I mean, if you are coveting someone else's spouse, that leads to adultery. You know, if you're coveting, I mean, there's just so many things that when you say, yes, that leads to so many, the other breaking of the commandments, it's true. Yeah. You don't steal without coveting. Exactly. Yeah, you, you always start with what they call the Puritans would call it the inordinate desire, mm. meaning it's it, we have desires and all desires aren't bad. If you look in scripture, there are good desires and there are bad desires, but a covetous desire in scripture is always bad, but it's this inordinate level. And what that just simply means is the depth of the desire has grown in such a way. I like to call it a soured desire. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's a desire for something that basically smells off. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the milk when you take it out and you're like, you can't really tell if it's soured because you know, you could be longing for a husband. I could be longing for a husband, mm-hmm. 
that's a good longing. Right. But at some point, my my milk jug may have soured Mm -hmm. and it comes off in bitterness, in anger, in, in almost an allowance of sin. Well, because this hard thing is in my life, I'm allowed to complain. I'm allowed to be discontent. Mm. I'm allowed to whatever. Different people might make different choices about what that allowance is. I'm allowed to have a break you know, from God's right. commands in some ways because he hasn't been good to me. So therefore, we sin in some ways usually, but it starts with this desire that's soured. And I mean, that's exactly what James says. You know, mm. he says these inward desires that are within you, you know, they don't stay inward. They eventually give birth to death it's in so some true. ways. I think we've seen it, but we don't pay attention. We don't fight that. We fight the battle at the outward sin rather than fighting the bad battle at the inward sin. And that's where coveting just exposes what's going on in our hearts. Well, and I think even going a little bit deeper into that and something that I have really been just putting a lot more, I don't want to say effort, but really focusing on a lot more is that idea of repentance and how repentance has become something that we almost don't talk about as believers and in the church. You know, how can you have a heart change if you don't understand that you've got to identify, in this case, a covetous heart and repent of that? Yes. Yes. And we just... It's funny. We believe God's grace is enough, but we don't want it to have to be enough for us. Mm. It's enough for, oh, you're a bad sin. You know, we'll tell everyone, oh, God's grace is enough. But if we really believe it's enough, then we can look at our inner heart mm-hmm. and we can pull apart and we can say, this is actually really ugly. And we cannot be afraid of doing that yeah. because it should lead us to repent repentance. It's his kindness and mercy to actually do that hard work to show us that we need to repent. And I I am a hundred percent with you. I'm actually reading a book on repentance right now for that very reason, because I don't, I don't think I repent enough. Like I don't, you know, if we walk into a home and we think, gosh, I wish I lived here or whatever. I I just think that's a normal way of being. I don't Mm -hmm. think I need to repent of that. That is me not being grateful for what God has given me, you know, and am I somehow doubting his goodness when I have that covetous thought? But repentance is just something I think that's really missing from the life of the church. Mm-hmm. And we're quick to get to grace and grace is great. But right. the more I actually understand what I have to repent of, then I, I, I apprehend in a different way the greatness of the grace of God to me. You're exactly um, right. I, I mean, it's we, so true. It's so true that unmerited favor really becomes more and more alive and more and more rich as I sit and say, dear God, I can't do anything without you because I can't even walk into someone else's home without sinning. And it's, <laughs> I think it's because we don't want to think we're bad or, you know, we don't want to think we sin that often or you're just making people feel guilty. And I'm like, actually, it's not a guilt for me anymore as much as it is like, I need you, Lord, to purify me moment by moment. And I don't feel guilty about that anymore because your grace really is enough. Yes. So come yes. do that in me every moment. Yes, that's right. And we need it to the inner core, mm-hmm. not just these outer outer things that we think of. One of the ways coveting is described in this old confession is that it is 
in the or that is grieving the good of your neighbor. Mm. And when it's said that way, um, it really gets to why I can't love my neighbor as myself if I'm coveting what they have because I grieve their good. You know, right. It hear puts the, something between us. It separates us. Yes. We hear that they got the promotion or she got pregnant mm-hmm. or she got engaged or she got this new minivan with sliding doors or whatever it might be <laughs> in our lives that we are really, whatever stage we're in. You know, I've talked about, I've gone around the country. I've traveled different places talking about this topic. And I've, what, what, what I've seen that is almost the saddest to me is when I have 65 and 70-year-old women come up mm-hmm. to me and say, I've struggled with this all my life and I didn't know what it was called. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, it doesn't just go away because we get older. Yeah, we'll be sitting in the rest home like saying, she's at a better rest home than me. And I like her, you know, Afghan her children, yeah, her children come to visit her twice a week and mine only come once a week. Right. What, I mean, it's just this heart problem that is never going to be fully defeated. I don't think, I think we can battle it, but it, at least now I know where my battle is. Whereas when I just think it's my circumstances, well, then I'm going to try to guilt trip my children in the nursing home to coming to visit me Yeah. rather than praying and asking the Lord, make me content that my kids only come once a week or whatever it might be. It totally changes where the battle lines are. And I think that changes everything. You know, many people do. I mean, many Christians can easily roll off their tongue. My contentment is in Christ alone. My hope is in Christ alone. But the reality is we can say it on our lips yet struggle so much in our lives to actually live that out. And so what are some of the practical ways that we can cultivate contentment? I know we just spoke to one, which is really repentance. Um, But what are some other things? Hand in hand with repentance is obviously prayer Mm -hmm. and asking God to make us thankful. Um, Because naturally we are not thankful. I mean, I think as we look at our children, they come out pretty ungrateful, Mm. (laughs) little creatures. (laughs) I know, are, right? Are very demanding. And I'm like, oh, I think motherhood is just this big allegory of this is what you are <laughs> to God in some <laughs> sense. That's a good uh, reminder for me because just this morning, my four-year-old, I finally looked at him and I was like, your wonter, your wonter is on high alert this morning and I need you <laughs> to turn it off. And then I thought, he doesn't even know what I'm talking about. So you <laughs> But I was yes. so like frustrated. I'm like, yeah, that's me. I have my wonter on high. That's a great way to say it. That's a really good <laughs> way to say it. Um, but I also, I, I think there is nothing more important in our lives than daily reading of the scripture and being in the Bible. Because the, the reality is, if we read the Bible, mm-hmm. it does not promise us an easy life here. Mm-hmm. The Christian life is described as a race, as a battle, and as childbirth. None of those are are easy. You know, none of those are easy. They're all hope filled. Every one of them is hope filled. We fight a battle in hopes of peace. We run a race in hopes of the finish line. We give birth in hopes of the joy of new life. Um, So there's a lot of hope. But every one of those is a struggle. And and Jesus, his promise to us was, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome it. And so I think our expectation that the Christian life will be a walk in the park 
is actually one of the most damaging things for our soul. And that's because we haven't read the words of Christ. I mean, he constantly is telling them, you know, he looks at his disciples. He's like, all men will hate you because of me. Yeah. (laughs) And we're like, why, why don't people like me? You know, why is it so hard? I mean, but if we really study the words of Jesus and keep those in our mind, it never is a promise of an easy life. It is a promise that God is with us in the heart. Mm-hmm. And that is what will make us joyful and content and hopeful people. Um, it's not ever that the circumstances will be easy, but that God is with us in those circumstances and that changes everything. And I, so, so I really think reading the stories of scripture, seeing the examples of Christians and acts and I mean, their lives do not give us much hope of this is going to be fun. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But they give us, they give us a lot of hope that the grace of Christ within us and the spirit of God within us gives us power beyond Mm. having to have an easy life. Yeah. That that joy is not based on ease or comfort or success or wealth, Mm -hmm. but that joy is rooted in your presence. Oh Lord is fullness of joy Mm. that that's where fullness of joy is. And that that is greater than anything this world can promise us. And I think constantly going back to scripture and apprehending who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross and remembering you know, I, I think if we lose the cross, we lose our joy. If that mm. becomes an old story in our hearts, we will have no joy. Uh, and I think this is why David prayed, restore unto me the joy of my salvation mm-hmm. and renew a right spirit within me. Because if we forget the story of our salvation, we will lose our joy. And so going back time and time again, oh, he rescued me. He saved me. What would my life be without him? Mm-hmm. That's going to breed joy in our hearts like nothing else. And I think often we don't tell those stories enough, just like we were talking about earlier. Well, and even when you're reading God's word, realizing that those same people that we sometimes are like, oh, Lord, help me be more like, you know, this Bible character and whatever they're doing. The reality is they are crying out often asking for the Lord to do that same thing in them. Because we have David, who obviously was not consistently content. He was named a man after God's heart, but he was discontent. And it was a constant struggle for him. And we see that in so many things in his life. We see it in Paul's life when he's saying, I don't do what I want to, I mean, what I should do. And I do do what I shouldn't. Um, And so it's just constant. These people in the Bible are people. They're not any different than we are. That's right. And they're in that battle. Yes. You know, he, I mean, Paul, it's this war going on within him. Yes. And so if that's Paul, the Apostle Paul, that's right. writing the very words of God for us, we can assume we're probably going to feel the battle. Yeah. You know, and it's, I, I think sometimes we live the Christian life. I don't know. Have you seen Saving Private Ryan? I have. I don't know if you've seen um, I mean, it's been that a while, opening yes. battle scene. Yeah, it's so long ago, but the opening battle scene is so powerful. You know, you see these young 18-year-olds having to go out to this beach, and they're throwing up, you know, like so nervous. They're sick to their stomachs, and they're getting ready, and they're running out on this beach, and there are bullets whizzing by them, and it's this 
terrible scene of battle. It, it showcases how awful war is. And the question I like to give people sometimes is, what if you saw one of those soldiers roll out a towel and start putting on sunscreen? It's a beach and laying on the beach and saying, I'm just going to kind of enjoy the scene here. Mm. You would look at him and we'd be like, you are crazy. What are you doing? Get up. There are bullets coming. And I think often we live the Christian life like it's not a battle. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're these Christians sitting, thinking we're supposed to be just watching the ocean. And there are bullets whizzing by and we don't know why we're getting hit. Mm. But in a lot of ways, we've forgotten we're in the battle. Um, that There's a spiritual war going on all around us. And the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. Like, he's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a little like, Oh, let's wrestle on the floor battle. He wants to kill anything good in us and yeah. he wants to destroy our lives. And realizing that that covetousness is part of his scheme. Yeah. Because yeah. I think one of the biggest things the enemy does in his battle is he covers things up and makes them look very nice and yes. innocent. And, oh, that's not that big of a deal. But the reality is, it's just like you said. I mean, it's actual bullets. Yes, actually. And that's what happened in the very first garden. Yes. If you look at that passage, the pattern that you see is that e- the, the term for desire that's used in Genesis is kmod, which is actually the term that's often translated coveted. Mm. So it says she saw that the fruit was desirable. She saw, she desired, she took, and she hid. Yes. So it's that she saw, coveted, took, and hid. Wow. And this pattern is actually all over scripture. Very first thing in the new promised land with Achan, he steals a piece of gold, you know, whatever. He yeah. saw the gold, he coveted it, he took it, and he hid it under his tent. David, yeah, the very first king after God's own heart. I know Saul is the first, but this is the first king that we can really believe in. What did he do? He saw Bathsheba, he coveted her, he took her, and he tried to hide what he had done. And so this pattern is in every place where redemption was supposed to come. Mm-hmm. You know, the new promised land, the new king, all of these things, man continually fails. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gives into the scheme of Satan in yes. a lot of ways. Whereas Christ, when he was That's there right. battling temptation in much harder circumstances, you know, in, in much more difficulty, he resists. That's right. And he, you know, and, and, and the, the hope for each of us is that his perfect obedience is what we receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when God looks at us, that's what he sees is the child who obeyed perfectly. And that is the good news for us is that yes, if we are amen. in Christ, that's what he sees. So all of us, all the mess that is us as people, <laughs> we're just like David, we're just like Eve, we're just like Achan, all of that mess, thankfully, because of Christ, if we are in Christ, then that is what God sees is mm. Christ obedience. And so that's, that's the good, I mean, the good news that of the gospel because right. this person is a mess. <laughs> right. And I mean, and, and then you have Jesus who, yes, he did not give in to Satan's schemes like we all do. And just like going from what you said earlier to battle discontentment and covetousness, he used God's word. And so that knowing yeah. God's word is exactly what's going to help us as well. So it all does. Yeah. It always plays together. I tell people all the time. You really have to read God's word from start to finish. It is not, 
Yes, they are all individual books, but it really does tell one big story. Yes, 100%. So interrelated. Well, we could certainly talk forever about contentment and probably all things, but I do want you to take the opportunity to just tell our listeners you have a book that will be coming out in June, and I'm hoping that we will have a future conversation about that. But share that with our listeners, just what it's called. And um, if somebody wants to connect with you, where can they find you? My new book is called Growing Together, Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Request. And the whole goal behind it, um, I worked for 10 years as women's ministry director at my church. And I had younger women coming to me wanting to be mentored. And I had older women looking at me saying, I've never been mentored. I have no idea what to do. Um, So this book is not a book about why mentoring is important so much as it is a book that an older woman can do with a younger woman. I love it. Um, and by older, you could be 20 yeah. meeting with an 18 year old. I, mean, I don't think you don't have to be 50. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just basically, it's just a resource to springboard on topics that are really important for all of our faith. Like, mm. Why do I need to be in the word? Why do I need to be in the church? Why, why do I need to do evangelism? You know, what should my prayer life look like? All of those topics that we want to get to, but sometimes we just get stuck in the, how you doing? How did this week go? And we spend all of our time talking about the circumstances of our life and never actually get to the meat of what, what we really want to talk about spiritual truth. And so that's what it's about. Um, and it will come out in the summer. And if anyone wants to connect, I blog at the Gospel Coalition. And um, I have a website, melissabkruger.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with me. This has been great. And I do look forward to our conversation about mentoring in the future. That would be great. It's been so fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, friends, for listening to episode 59. Stay safe and healthy this week. If you know someone who is stuck at home, and hasn't listened to the Grace Enough podcast, I would be so grateful if you would send them a text message, an email, or a social media direct message inviting them to listen along with you. And while you have the time, catch up on past episodes that you have yet to listen to. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.